0: It had to be you is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. I did oh and find I didn't heckle you Some will you is supportive. I'm in
1: love with you. Could make me be true.
0: Snap out of it! The
1: magnificence Could make me that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and like the way you walk. Just to be You're lit from within, Could Tracy
0: it had to be you wonderful you it had to be you hello romantics welcome to It Had to be you the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen i'm your host manish mather and really excited to introduce um my latest guest a very wonderful podcaster in his own right host of piecing it together podcast. i have david rosen how are you
1: I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I was just on your podcast talking about Thor Love and Thunder, so really excited to invite you here to talk about this really excellent classic film. Would you like to introduce it for us?
1: Sure. We're talking about a 1960s Billy Wilder film, The Apartment, starring uh, Jack Lemmon and uh, Shirley MacLaine. And a, a classic that I hadn't seen until we decided to do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. It is, like I
0: think, a very uh, seminal romantic comedy classic of the era. Definitely a defining movie for Billy Wilder and for Jack Lemon and Shirley MacLaine. i um, really excited that it's your first time uh, watching the movie for the podcast. Um, What's kind of what was your awareness of the apartment before this? Was it on your radar? Was it
1: um something you had heard a lot about so it was certainly uh, a a movie I'd heard about plenty I mean obviously a best picture winner, and you know Billy Wilder just being like you know one of the greats of that era but um my movie knowledge i've i've watched many many movies over the last few decades but i uh, i have not seen enough from this particular era and you know i think it might actually be the first billy wilder movie i've seen uh um, oh, wow. so so many classic films and i just yeah i now i'm going to be you know working my way through because this you know was fantastic of course i mean big surprise but you know i'm always trying to expand my film knowledge and uh this is a big blind spot for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of classics ahead of you. Um, a lot yeah. of movies that uh, have made a lot of impact on uh, on filmmaking, on culture, on just the way we talk about movies. So excited for you. You'll have to um, keep me in touch as you explore and let me know your thoughts, especially on stuff like Sunset Boulevard and Double Indemnity and some like it hot. I mean, these are like you know, Sunset Boulevard is probably like one of my all-time favorite movies. So yeah, uh, really excited for that for that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And by by the way, I think
1: I did see some like it hot back in high school, but it's been a long time since then. So I
0: feel like that movie's a lot different than you remember. Probably (laughs) Um, that that's how it is for me because it was the same. Where like I know I had watched it a lot, like. Not a lot, but I know I'd seen it, like, as a kid on, like, TCM or whatever. Sure. And then watching it as an adult, it's even better, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, very, yeah, really excited for you, but I would love to just get your sort of initial impressions of The Apartment before we kind of go deeper.
1: I, I mean, obviously I loved it. it. It was It was just a great comedy, mm-hmm. but uh great movie overall there there's so much being explored here from you know the toxic masculinity angle to the corporate culture angle uh, a lot of things that are still things that everybody is constantly exploring in all art today you know every all of this stuff is still going on um and you know it's all done in such a, uh, a fun way, but also a kind of biting way, like like really sharp satire involved in all of this. And uh, also just a straight-up good romantic comedy underneath it all. So there, there's a lot going on here in this movie, and uh, the performances are great. Um, there, there's some good, you know, laugh-out-loud funny moments as well, and uh, there, there's just, there's a lot here.
0: I've seen this movie, I think,
1: maybe twice before.
0: You know, I'm pretty sure I watched it as part of some sort of college class. Um, that's how that's how I've watched a lot of these, like, you know, AFI-approved movies. It's like college courses and stuff. Sure. Um, and I think when I first watched it, I didn't really get it. I was kind of expecting it to be like a, you know, very typical 1950s romantic comedy, like bright and colorful and cheerful. Um and I just was like, "Oh, this is like not funny at all. I didn't really get it. I didn't really mm-hmm. understand it. um but then it's the kind of movie where like the 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 older you get, the more you appreciate it, the more you really i can get onto it's like bittersweet rhythms it's I mean it's definitely funnier than I remembered it being." Even, but it's also sadder
1: than I remember it yeah, being.
0: it, you know, it it's is. Just...
1: Bittersweet is the right yeah. word for it, you know, yeah. for sure. Because there's there's a lot of darkness in like the underbelly of this. Even though it is a romantic comedy, and even though it is funny, uh, there there's a lot of darkness, especially that like the middle act of this, like mm-hmm. you know, as things go as things go bad um the, yeah it, it gets pretty dark and there's some like interestingly uh mixed tones throughout which doesn't always work but uh is handled really well here
0: yeah there was definitely like a, a time period for like romantic comedies where they were really getting this dark and i think the apartment is probably the like first art first prototype of that and it would get perfected into the 70s and and into the 80s you know, when you have movies like Harold and Maude and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the you know broadcast news and, and these movies, and like Moonstruck of course, like, where you just have uh, you know, there's so much like, these movies have very like, heavy adult themes, but they're treated with such a you know, a delicate hand and, and a maturity and it's not afraid to, you know, get really dark, but also it could be really silly and, and it just has this like, um Effortless touch to it, and I feel like the apartment is, uh, you know, I think an early example of this being done really well, and and you know, when it comes in the night in nineteen sixty, I feel like it's. Um, you know, kind of a, a seismic moment in Hollywood, right? It's sort of, like, the beginning of the end of The Hayes Code, and, like, sure. directors are getting a little bit more risky, and you have Psycho the same year, which, like, broke Hollywood apart, and I think The Apartment did as well. I mean, these two movies, you know, they're, like, Oscar um, rivals, and they, like, had such a like, unfathomable effect on Hollywood and how... Hollywood as an institution changed forever both these movies um, and and I feel like the apartment probably is really responsible for breaking down a lot of the stuff that would let the 1960s you know without without the apartment you don't really get stuff like Bonnie and Clyde or um, you know or um, you know any you know Bob and Carol Ted and Alice I mean you really needed a movie like this to show that like hey, we can make, like, studio movies that also deal with, like, death and, you know, the decay of Amer- of American society.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the getting into, like, more uh, critical aspects, you know, like, criticizing the American way and, and... Yeah.
0: This Watching this movie now feels so funny to me because I'm in my first, like, corporate job this year where, like, mm. I'm working for, like, a big corporation and um, it's, uh, you know, of course... Corporate culture now is very different than it was back then. and uh, you know, I def- But it feels like, you know, when I first started, I was like, oh, I don't know how much of, am I going to be like a cog in the machine? You know, like, yeah, you don't know how much you're just going to be like an invisible drone who's just kind of like producing work and then going home. And thankfully, it's not like that. Um, but, you know, I was seeing... Um, jack lemon in this sort of environment where he i mean like the way that they shoot the office with like the really intense uh you know the the deep focus i think it's called um where it just looks like there's like an endless sea of desks and and you know guys who all look the same it's all very it's it's so funny it's so well designed um to show that like There's just really this, like, anonymity in corporate culture and also this sort of, like, endlessness and there's, like, this drowning to it. It's really, really quite fascinating.
1: Yeah, I wonder, like because some of that is some really great stuff there it's very funny like the way that that corporate culture is presented and i wonder that like that focus and and the way that those desks just go on and on i wonder if part of that is part of the reason for shooting this in black and white because at this point we're already on to color like it did you know for a comedy didn't really need to be black and white but i think maybe to you know Further capture like the mundanity of of that office setting. It probably helps in that, and you don't want to go back and forth black and white and color. Uh, so just shoot the whole thing that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think definitely there's, um, yeah, there's got to be like a, a you know, I I don't I don't quite remember if in my like research if there was a reason why they shot it in black and white except for the fact that. Uh, I, I agree. I think it was definitely an aesthetic choice. Um, yeah. What did you think of the, the cinematography and sort of the black and white look of the film?
1: Yeah. I mean, it looks great. I mean, the main takeaway, like you were just saying, are, are those office shots. I mean, they really, they, they capture just how, uh, constricting that kind of lifestyle is, you know, and, uh, how, um, you know how it just feels like you're just part of a machine, and there's there's no uh, humanity, no no individualism to to being part of that. Uh, but you know. I think that that's a big part of the cinematography in this is capturing that feeling of being a worker bee in that situation and the boss is so far above you that there's no, you know, there's so little connection to that and then for everything else, I mean, it's it's serviceable, I mean, it looks great um, but I don't think that it's uh, trying exactly to be showy or anything in other scenes
0: um, You know, before we get kind of further I was, uh, perhaps we can do a little bit of a plot summary uh, just because it's an older film, maybe a lot of listeners have seen it. Um, so, would you care to kind of offer a brief description?
1: Sure. Um, well, our our main character, uh, played by Billy Wilder or uh, <laughs> played by Jack Lemmon, is uh, Baxter, who um, who works in this office job, like with thousands of employees, and uh, he is kind of working his way up, just because he has this apartment that his bosses all want to use to have flings uh extramarital flings and uh he allows them to do it because he's just kind of a pushover and uh they're kind of promising him a way up the corporate ladder and uh he just kind of lets it happen but all the while he's kind of falling for this uh woman at the office and then there's um You know, all kinds of fallout from the various flings with the main boss. And uh, all kinds of wacky stuff ensues from there. But then it gets dark. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you know, I want to talk about Baxter. You mentioned earlier that this movie is kind of about uh, toxic masculinity. And, you know, one thing that really surprised me about this movie is how very clear from the beginning it is that, like, this kind of culture hurts, you know, men too. Sure. In ways that I don't think that Baxter really acknowledges that he's being like you know taken advantage of. You know, not only is he, uh, you know, kind of uh, kicked out of his own house, but his his neighbors think he's some like ladies' man, Casanova type. Uh, you know, he gets a cold from being out in the winter mm-hmm. while his uh, his his office, his apartments being used, and you know he's. I think there's also like he's not even sure like if he's even a, like a good employee because all of his promotions are because of this apartment he has. There's there's just a lot of ways in which he's being like tossed around and and stuff. I think it's interesting and um, I think it's done really subtly. It's not subtle because it's very obvious, but I think the way I think. The way that Baxter kind of realizes this is, is very subtle. I don't think mm-hmm. he really sees it as that bad at first. He's annoyed by it, sure, but he's also like, "This is just my life." Yeah, um, and it's not really until later that I think he kind of understands like how much this is really affecting his his reputation, his well being, and like, you know, what happens like I can't imagine like you know your boss like uses your apartment to like have sex, and then you just like go back in that same bed like that's
1: just weird it's very weird Yeah, <laughs> it's very,
0: it's very like, traumatic almost
1: they use the word schnook in this you know yeah. yiddish word which is like just such a perfect word but but yeah, yeah it's just such a like a pushover and uh i you know i was saying earlier there's so many themes in here that are still being explored today and you know in the wake of the me too movement like you know th- this is definitely a movie that uh even though it's uh was it 60 years old at this point or yeah Um, like it's still, it, it, it makes such an impact right now with everything going on. I think, uh, even though, you know, the me too movement is, you know, mostly associated with, uh, the treatment of women, like it's really the treatment of everybody and just Mm -hmm. all, all of those, uh, all those kinds of power imbalances that happen, whether it be within the worlds of dating, within the worlds of work, within, you know, anywhere. And, uh, So this is an example of that uh, in many ways, really.
0: Yeah, you know, and I like what you say about, you know, Mewtwo being about everyone. I mean, I definitely think that's true because, um, you know, people like the boss in the apartment, you know, they're not just taking advantage of, you know, women, but they just take advantage of everyone, right? And yeah everyone is sort of afraid for their own well-being. Now, some more literal than others, uh, of course, but, um, you know, Baxter's situation is as precarious as anyone else's because at the, you know, if there's another younger guy that has, you know, who complains a little bit less, or who has a nicer apartment, or who, you know, if there's someone who could take his place very easily, Mm-hmm. And so he has to like balance all that, and you know the, the demands of all these men having to like schedule their affairs and stuff. and and then it's even like when he has when he asks for just a little bit piece of his life back, mm-hmm. he gets met with a lot of, uh, you know, anger and disappointment. Um, so I mean, it's yeah, and and uh, I mean. I think the question that I was kind of I was having when I watched the first half of the movie is like, well, how much is, um, you know, how much is Baxter also complicit, right? Sure. I mean, he's aiding, you know, these affairs, you know, harm, you know, if you know, harming the women around him, like in the office or elsewhere. Like, there's definitely a lot of, you know, blame that he has to shoulder. But I also think this movie does a good job of showing that, like. Obviously, you know he's he does all these. He's like kind of he's complicit, but he's not uh, going unpunished in in a sense, right? So it's very. I think this movie is really smart in the way it handles that.
1: Yeah, I think it's also smart because like we're maybe this is part of like a pushback of the current moment, but I feel like uh, some people are maybe going a little overboard in um, who is is to blame, like who who are the bad guys right now in this particular moment in time, yeah. you know? And Baxter is like a perfect example of someone who is in that shade of gray where it's like, you know, yes, this person is complicit in some, you know, not good stuff, but you know, there are levels to these things. Is, is he on the same level as his bosses? I, I don't think so, but no. you know, you could picture, uh, if this movie was released today, you know, some kids on TikTok saying, uh, <laughs> "Yes, he most certainly is. He's just as bad." You know.
0: Yeah, Baxter is a true villain of the apartment. I'm sure yeah. that article exists somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, and I mean, I, you know, I don't presume to know what the discourse was like back in 1960, but this me just feels very ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's still so relevant, sixty odd years later. I think it just goes to show like how much either nothing has changed or they were just thinking really ahead of, you know, thinking ahead of themselves and really, you know, um, capturing a, uh, you know, a a feeling that's that they knew was going to be permanent.
1: Yeah, I I think that line, you know, obviously, it's such a famous line. uh, When Fran says about the broken mirror, I like Mm -hmm. it that way. It makes me look the way I feel that I mean, that's a line that is going to keep it people's favorite movie for decades probably centuries honestly because like you know how how often do you get a line like that that really captures how people feel inside a lot of the times you know it's it's very rare for something to be that perfect
0: yeah and i mean this movie just does not really shy away from you know i don't want to use the word depression because i know that's like such a you know it's a clinical term and i don't want to throw it around but that's sort of like, um, you know, malaise that people sure. have. And that, you know, the anxiety, the, the tension of just like not, you know, just think, you know, bad things are just happening and you're just trying your hardest to like survive them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm uh, sure they had yeah. their own issues in the 50s and 60s, you know, to that they were living through. We've got our issues right now that we're living through. It's like yeah. every generation is living through things that, you know, you just feel hopeless about.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is like the tail end. Uh, I mean, I, I know we all like to think the 1950s is like, you know, the June Cleaver era. But I mean, the, they had their own anxieties. You know, the, the Red Scare, of course, was there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of like the euphoria of like post-World War II was waning and they were being sold this like very um cookie-cutter dream but it just wasn't you know there's a lot of anxiety in in the suburban you know homes and everything and um and it definitely feels relatable even now and and even as um you know these characters are trying to figure out what they're doing with their lives And, you know, I like that this movie kind of ends, you know, spoiler alert, but it kind of ends in the sense of like, oh, wow, like we, no job, no home. Yeah. You know, no money, nowhere to go. And it's like, hey, relatable.
1: Yeah, (laughs) sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Making pasta on a tennis racket.
0: I mean, that's... And that—that's the other thing. Like, as sad as this movie is, it's so charming. You know that mm-hmm. tennis racket. It's 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 such a bachelor thing to do.
1: <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah.
0: you know. Um. Yeah. I mean, I just. Yeah, this movie has so much charm and, and wit. To... What are some of your like favorite moments in the film or favorite lines? I know you mentioned the tennis racket and the broken mirror, but anything else that really stands out to you?
1: Um. I. I mean, I liked how awful it is when the boss says, you know, you see a girl a couple of times a week just for laughs, you know? I, I just think that's such a, such a great asshole line, you know? Yeah. Um, one of one of the biggest laughs to me uh, was when the nurse asks uh, Baxter if, if he has a napkin, and he says, oh, well, I have some paper towels, and she calls him a beatnik. <laughs> I, just, I just thought it was great. I mean, that's actually how we live in our household. It's all paper towels, so I just... Uh, You know, I thought that was really good. Yeah, yeah, those are a couple of my other, uh, a couple other ones that I had written down. Um, Yeah, I I think those are good ones. I also found it uh, fascinating, the old school uh, TV remote that's attached to the uh, end table. That was, uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen one of those uh, before.
0: That was really cool. Yeah, I mean, that brings (laughs) up one of my favorite parts is... um, I, I, as he's, like, flipping through channels and it's, like, everything's either a Western or a commercial, and sure. he's just, like, <laughs> I think, oh, God, what? He's trying to watch some movie, um, and he just, like, can't, it just he just turns it off in frustration and mm-hmm. i mean to me that's like when you're like flipping through you know Hulu or whatever and there's just like nothing appealing you're like i'm so gonna turn this off.
1: yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> right. it's not like they had as many options as we have now <laughs> I, yeah. but uh you know it's still i feel like it's still thing.
0: there yeah. yeah i mean you know i love old movies that are about like people in apartments like single people in apartments because it's mm-hmm. like nothing has changed Yeah. You know, apartment living, like you still have like no space and like, even like napkins. I mean, that's such a thing that like, who thinks about napkins? Like, it's such a like home, like a house thing, not like an apartment thing. Sure.
1: Absolutely.
0: um, (laughs) It just feels very like, I only get napkins when they come from, you know, takeout. So
1: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And then you, you have to like hold on to those in case you need them.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What's your, uh, what's your Shirley MacLaine history? If you if you have any
1: Shirley MacLaine um God, I'm trying to think. I mean I mean Bernie is so good. Sure, uh of yeah. I, I love that movie. Uh that's the first one that's coming to mind. Uh what else? Uh she's in Being There, right? Wasn't she? I in think Being so. There? Yeah, Being There, that that she's that's great. Um but yeah, Bernie's the first thing that comes to mind though, and I think I love that movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that she's, you know, not only is she still alive, but she's still, like, working, and still, like, I just saw her in Only Murders in the Building.
1: Oh, yeah, she's I haven't watched episode. that um,
0: yeah. She's very funny in that, and she plays, like, a woman who's, like, 100 years old. It's hmm. great. I mean, she's, nice. I mean, she must be up there, she's close to that herself, but, yeah. um, she's so funny, still, I mean, you know, I don't mean to say still, because it's, I don't try to be ages, but, like, she hasn't missed a beat, you know, in all these years of working and she's still doing really fun, interesting roles like Bernie. Um and so yeah, what's your uh do you are you charmed by her in this film? Are you what, what's your reaction?
1: No, I think she's great in it. I mean, you know, she she's such a uh you know, such a real person, you know, and yeah. and that that goes a long way of making a uh you know making a character last like this and and like i said like this movie has such like a mix of tones and those tones are following her mostly and so mm-hmm. you know like i said it's it's hard to make a movie that has that many tones work um but i think it's on the strength of that performance that really ties them together and, and keeps it going
0: yeah yeah i mean i think she's so she's an amazingly talented actor um you know, I mean, I love her in terms of endearment and the trouble with Harry and, uh, uh, uh Postcards from the Edge, I think that's mm. her in that, um, uh, yeah, I think so, but, I mean, she's, I mean, she's so good in so many movies, um, and, uh, anytime like a friend of mine or even like when i like have a crush on someone and you like you know you have that like they have those moments but it's like you don't really know what's going on in their like life outside of like your few interactions with them and sure this way really captures that of like he's flirting with this woman who seems very flirty back but like she's having this whole like devastating affair yeah that you know she doesn't that no one really knows about and like almost to the point where she is like, you know, committing suicide about it. Yeah. And, um, it's really dark and it's really sad, but it's also like, it just goes to show that like guys, especially, I think have this thing where it's like, we kind of think that like the people around us only exist around us and we kind of forget <laughs> yeah. they have like whole their lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. that, that is, that is a, uh, an interesting thing to explore in, in a movie because it's, you know it's it's hard it, it's a hard thing for anybody to wrap their head around you know other people's completely separate experiences yeah. but um with, with a movie character that you only you only get 90 minutes with and not even that much because it's just one character in an overall story uh it makes it even harder to like really get into the head of that person um so yeah you're really getting a lot of this character
0: yeah there's something so uh I think that's, like, a really, like, sweetness to Shirley MacLaine, even if she's someone who, I mean, I don't know if you know that much about her, like, biography, but, like, she was kind of, like, running around with, like, Fink Sinatra and Dean Martin and those guys, like, she was mm-hmm. really big in that, like, Rat Pack group, so she, like, she's able to, like, hold her own, and she was, like, you know, a sassy broad, as they say, but um, she's so vulnerable, and she's so sweet, and, um I think she has this, like, toughness to her, but also she's very, um, you know, I mean, like her mirror, she is very broken in this movie, and there's a sadness to her, too. Even when she's being very, like, flirty and funny, and, uh, yeah, it's a really great performance from her. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, What about uh, Frederick Murray? Uh, He's the star of Double Indemnity, that's the role that I think of most with him, okay. but um, he's kind of in like the he's playing the like, uh, the cuckold type in, sure. in this movie, that he and he cuckolds someone else in Double Indemnity from, from Billy Wilder, like he's like the guy in Double Indemnity that like, has the affair, and here he's like being like, um, I mean you know, not cuckold, that's such a dumb word to say, but you know, he's the one that's kind of being like, uh, the guy, like gets the girl stolen away from him, so to speak. Sure. So interesting little reversal there for him. You know. Speaking speaking of which, the Baxter.
1: Um, you yeah. know that movie, Michael Showalter's yeah, The yeah. Baxter. Yeah. <laughs> that's the word for the guy who gets the girl stolen away from him. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs>
0: which I think is a coincidence here. Right.
1: I, I read an interview. I was looking it up, like, to try to get any kind of confirmation uh, that you know if if he named him after Jack Lemmon's character, but he says he didn't. But I don't believe him. I mean, Michael Showalter, you know, he doesn't really do anything very seriously. He's like always joking and everything he does. So I really don't believe him when he said in that interview that it's not based on this character. I I, I think he named him after this.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, the Baxter is, like, an archetype from, like, 1930s movies about, um, like, they're, like, the boring guys that, like, the girl, like, is, like, engaged to, and then, like, Cary Grant comes in. Yeah. So, definitely, I think that, like, it's a tradition, and so, yeah, I agree with you that I I think Michael Strawalter knew what he was doing, and I think he's being a little coy.
1: Yes, Absolutely. (laughs)
0: But yeah, for the audience, I wanted to give that context. Uh, but yeah, I, it's funny that it's a, it's a Baxter is such a like nerdy name anyway. Like it's the kind of guy that like you would of course like be like, oh whatever, just kick him out of his apartment while I like sleep with like Marilyn Monroe wannabe. Yeah. you know,
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> um,
0: now I know, I know you haven't seen something like it hot in a long time, but did you catch the Marilyn Monroe? I mean, obviously they they, they name drop it. You know wet with, with that with that young woman who's acting just like her, but apparently it was like a dig to the real Mella Monroe after some like it hot
1: oh interesting
0: yeah i you know there's a the whole thing about it where you know she, they didn't get along on set because Mela Monroe was going through a lot of personal troubles, and Billy Wilder had no patience for her. So he was making fun of her in this movie, which makes, I don't know, makes me a little mad because, you know,
1: <laughs> that's very petty, but uh, it's a little
0: punching down, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know. I'm probably going to uh, revisit uh, a couple of Monroe movies before uh, Blonde comes out later yeah, this year. Yeah.
0: Oh, I mean, you'll have to.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: definitely gentlemen prefer Blondes. That's that's my favorite one.
1: So. All right. I'm right sure I'll
0: enjoy it. You're the piecing it guy. Like <laughs> you know, have you seen any movies that you feel were like directly inspired by the apartment? Or like what what comes to mind about like this movie's influence or you know Yeah.
1: I mean I i do have a few things written down that I thought maybe if we were gonna talk about that 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 could work. Um yeah, of, yeah. Co- I, of course Michael Schofter's the Baxter's on on the list, but yeah. uh you know, I also thought of How to Succeed in Business without really trying. Um, another, yeah. you know, workplace comedy just about how, you know, messed up that whole corporate system is and, and how rigged it all is and, you know, a completely different kind of movie but, you know, still dealing with that, that you know, satire of the corporate world. Um, I thought of that. Uh, the Goodbye Girl with mm. uh, Richard Dreyfuss from 1977. Yeah. Um, we actually covered that over on Awesome Movie Here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know people in and out of an apartment constantly and like you know they're, yeah. they're fighting over whose apartment it is so uh, they're, they're, there's some parallels there and then maybe like way out of left field you know over on piecing it together sometimes you have a left field puzzle piece but um pulp fiction for the OD scene oh um, yeah, yeah you know cause I mean when, when uh, Fran OD's I mean waking her up is pretty damn brutal and it reminded me of uh you know how, how they have to wake up um Mia Wallace. Uh, yeah, Mia in and, and, uh, and Pulp Fiction, which is just so violent and over the top. And, yeah, that scene was shocking. Um, it was, you know, we, we talked about how dark this movie gets all of a sudden in that, that middle act. But uh, that was pretty shocking for even for whatever time.
0: That is such a great connection. Um, and I would bet money that Tarantino has... I mean, I know he's seen the apartment. There's no way he hasn't. But I sure. would put many on the fact that it was like a reference or on his mind when he wrote that because it's such a good it's such a good callback. Uh, I'm jealous that I didn't make that connection myself. <laughs> to be honest. Nice. Uh, but yeah, that's really great. And I mean, yeah, I agree. Like, the, I think the like master stroke of this movie is that it's able to pull off you know a sequence that striking and, and shocking and upsetting, and then can also bounce right back to being a, you know, cutesy romantic comedy when they're, like, bonding over the Christmas weekend. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I funny mean, it's enough, like, it, it it's... gets, it gets like, more cutesy in the end after yeah. all that's happened. More cutesy yeah. than it was in the first third.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it's such a stroke of genius because, I mean, I can't even imagine a movie nowadays pulling that off we keep talking about like the tonal shifts in this movie and i think movies nowadays just like don't know how to balance that i mean i hate mm-hmm. being that guy that's like movies today can't do this or that i mean i don't know i've seen a lot of great movies in you know the sure. last few years but yeah and a lot of movies have done tonal shifts before but this movie just has this like um it's just it's it's almost so, it's like so lifelike where you can have a moment that's as, you know, traumatizing. And then you can have a moment that's like fun and flirty and, and lively and playful. And it's kind of like, well, that's just how it is sometimes, you know, you have to like, you have to have those like light moments after something that's really, truly horrifying.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I want to talk about you know the 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 doctor and sort of his his advice you know be a mensch and, and all that and as someone who gets very annoyed by like injustice, I was kind of like, okay, just Baxter, just tell the guy that what's happening, like what's really gonna. Like what, what what's the hold up, but that's the whole you know that's the that's the tragedy of this character is that everyone just kind of like walks all over him, yeah, Except up for Fran and they just kind of and everyone else just puts their expectations on him, and he just has to take it because what other choices he have,
1: yeah, I don't think he knows how to stand up for himself, you know yeah. he, he just can't, and I don't think it's something where he is choosing not to i I think he just simply doesn't know how to do it any other way,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, I agree. But uh, what do you think of the, the the doctor? I mean, it it's funny, you know. Like it, it's you know there's a bunch of very like Jewy characters in this, you know, I'm Jewish. I I know it from my family. So many characters in this (laughs) remind me of like my Bubby, the old lady reminded me of my (laughs) Bubby. And like, you know, it's like a lot of the way that they, you know, the straight talking and the, the very like New York straight talk, like a a lot of that reminded me of like family members I've had and stuff like that. So yeah, the, the, the doctor is no different from that stuff. that, that's what like kind of came to mind for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's a, you know, great character. I think a, a favorite line is, you know, Mildred, he's at it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I also love what his wife is telling Charlotte McClain, you know, stay away from this guy. Although those will be crying into your noodle soup. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's such a New York line. I don't know. Yeah. Crying totally. into your noodle soup. I feel like it's just like, you can just imagine like millions of people all over just like, brokenhearted and crying into their soup it's
1: oh absolutely. it paints a picture um food and tears those go together
0: i mean often all the time <laughs> yeah i mean you know you're in las vegas right yeah so this movie's very new york it's a very it's, it has that like manhattan feel and not that i live in manhattan nor do i live in this kind of thing but you just it just like feels like you know um you know, like, like what are those, like, you know, a million stories in the Naked City kind of thing where it's, mm. like, there's stories like this all over. Like, every corporate culture is like this. And there's, like, so, I mean, even at even at Baxter's own office, there's the other secretary who went through a experience like Fran did and loses her job for, for her trouble. And it's just, um, there's just, it's such a... Like, this movie is so ordinary in, in, in the way that it presents this stuff. Like, it's not this, like, grand melodrama, and I, I think that's why the tonal shifts really work, is that, like, it's actually presenting this very grounded and very... You know, there are the flights of fancy, and there's the very, like, charming stuff, but it's also very, um, like... Not really... It's very authentic, it's very grounded, and, um, you know, it just feels very... Matter of fact about a lot of stuff without making yeah. it into like a big production.
1: Sure, sure. Right. I, it, at the beginning of the movie, he he gives that that monologue about how there's like eight million people in New York City, yeah. and I, I think that that's like really setting up well that there's all kinds of crazy stories packed into this one place. You know, yeah. And so like uh, those eight million people are all going through something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> fascinating um i just like really can't get over how this movie just holds up so well. i feel i feel like it plays better now than it did in 1960 yeah <laughs> not yeah. that i was born but um <laughs> it just has this like i don't know it's just every, all the characters are so relatable you know it's, i mean Baxter and Fran especially um you know it's like kind of like we've all been there I mean yeah. maybe not to the same like extent. I yeah, I just want to give some other shout outs, you know, Billy Wilder. Uh, I, I I I think he's a refugee from the war if I from correct if I recall correctly or he was um definitely has seen a lot of tragedy in his life and I think a lot of his movies have a a cynicism to them, you know, even if they I, I wouldn't call them totally cynical, but there are elements of cynicism there, and, uh, you know, I mean, especially movies like Double Indemnity and Sons of Boulevard, and I think even some like it has elements of that. Um, and, uh, you know, he's such a great writer, but I think he's also an incredible filmmaker, too. I mean, his visual design. Um, I mean, even, like, the very... I think one of the most evocative shots in the film is at the end, at the New Year's party with Fran, just... She's just contemplating, you know, and um, the, I think the camera lingers on on Fred McMurray and and then turns back and she's not there anymore. I, I think it's mm. so clever, not showing her kind of get up and leave, you know, and then she's running. It's just so, um, yeah, it's just, it's it's so romantic. I mean, the ending of this movie is so romantic. We have to talk about it. It's incredibly famous. You know, she runs to him and... Goes into his building, hears a, what she thinks is a gunshot, and she's banging on the door, and then he opens it, and uh, champagne is overflowing, and then, mm-hmm. you know, he tells her that he's leaving, and she wants to play cards again, and of course, he's confessing his love to her, and she says, shut up and deal. Yeah. And at the end of the movie. I mean, it's a classic ending line. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing I love about romantic comedies is when p- either the, no one says I love you or if someone says I love you and the other person doesn't say it back but means it. Yeah. It's so much more romantic than, like, an I love you, I love you, too, exchange, you know.
1: Yeah, you want your movie to be a movie, you know. Yeah. You, in real life, I love you is probably all you're going to get, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but in, in the movies, you're going to get something grand and and, and yeah. clever and memorable, you know.
0: yeah, Yeah, it's so romantic and it's also it's you know like we mentioned earlier like the ending is kind of ambiguous you know like they don't have a job mm-hmm. you know he's lo- moving apartments we don't know what their future is going to hold and we don't know if this is going to be like love of their life or they're going to you know break up or if you know we don't know and it doesn't end on a kiss it doesn't end on a marriage proposal it just kind of ends with this very sweet you know card game yeah, And to me, that's, to me, that's more romantic, I think, in, in this like roundabout way, you know, than in, you know, a happily ever after.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great moment. And uh, I, I think uh, some of the best uh, romantic comedy moments do uh, kind of emulate that same kind of uh, not knowing where we're headed from this yeah. point forward. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Absolutely.
0: I'm trying to think of is any other, you know, final thoughts or any other scenes I didn't really bring up. Um, yeah. I, I well, you know, I love the scene with Fran's brother-in-law, um, just kind of coming and again, this poor Baxter. Just everyone just thinks the worst of him, and all the evidence always points in that direction
1: too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just very uh, you know just he's just one of those guys you know it's great yeah um, yeah I know uh <laughs> any uh any kind of last thoughts or uh moments in the film or themes you want to bring up
1: uh not really I I feel like we we hit m- most if not all of, like the major things here but uh but yeah I mean just just great and uh, you know, great performances all around and, and I, I'm certainly looking forward to watching more Billy Wilder stuff. Um, you know, I I it's crazy how you could have blind spots this big, but uh, you know, we watch what we watch, you know.
0: <laughs> I mean, i almost wish I could switch bodies with you because I would love to watch a lot of these <laughs> movies the first time. Oh, I, I feel like a lot of these um a lot of these, like, first-time watches for me were when I was, like, young and didn't really know, like, didn't appreciate it. And, I mean, the apartment, I feel like you have to be in your, like, 30s and older to appreciate sure. it. Like, yeah. I, and, it's, like, truest level because only at our age can you, like, have that level of, like, well, maybe you're 29, I don't know. Um, but I feel like <laughs> in our 30s, like, that's when you have, like... The maturity that's when you have a little bit more like bittersweet life experience. And yeah, you can kind of appreciate the fact that like, you know, you might find a woman, you know, on the brink of death in your bed, but that doesn't mean you can't like fall in love with her.
1: Yeah. <laughs> sure. You know, it's
0: like, I feel like when you're like 19, you're just be like, I need to like, not, I need to like lie down after seeing that. But it's like, here is just a part of life. And you know uh, there's just all these ups and downs and i mean nothing like that's ever happened to me but i can imagine you know that you just have to like pick up and move on
1: life is messy and uh yeah you can't know that when you're younger yeah and and watching these movies they they could still be funny they could still be romantic but they're not going to hit as hard when you're when you're a younger person with less experience
0: yeah yeah um yeah, I mean, thank you so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to uh, your Billy Wilder experience and your Mel and Monroe experience in the next few months. Yeah. Uh, uh, please tell the listeners where they can find you, where they can listen to your like amazing podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thanks again for having me. But uh, yeah, people can find Piecing It Together wherever they listen to podcasts and uh, on social media at PiecingPod and yeah check out that thor love and thunder episode that you are on and uh lots of other episodes we're uh five years in now lots of movies to talk about influences and connections and uh all that kind of stuff so uh yeah hopefully people check it out
0: Yes, um, and also your wonderful music that you play at the end of each episode. Yeah. I always look forward to that as well.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm working on a new album right now, and uh, I actually two albums. So uh, I'm I'm knee-deep in music and podcasts and God knows what else. So.
0: <laughs> you honestly podcast more than life, anyone I know. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it's great. It I mean... Happens. I, I mean, as a listener, I appreciate it. As your friend, I'm like, take a break, please. Yeah, I really should. <laughs> uh, hey, I, don't, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, well, I mean, thank you so much for, for being here. And it's, it's been a pleasure, as always. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Vertigay314. That's V-E-R-T-I-G-A-Y 314. Also, please follow the podcast at you, And you can follow or you can rate, review, and subscribe to help people find the show um david thanks again it's been a pleasure hope to have you on the show again soon um thanks to listeners and have a great have a great day